The Better Business Analysis Institute presents the Better Business Analysis podcast with Kingsman Walsh. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Better Business Analysis Podcast with Benjamin Walsh. And today I have a very special guest. Uh, His name is Dana Jacobson. He is the Senior Product Manager at Z Energy, who's been responsible for managing the launch of multiple products for Z. Full disclosure, Dana and I worked together back in the day when Z was first established and became great friends. Uh, We've had numerous conversations about product management, the world of business, and business analysis, and I thought it'd be great to get Dana's perspective on both business analysis, but really for us to understand a little bit more around the world of product management. So Dana, thanks for joining me. Cool. Thanks, Ben. Stoked to be here. First podcast. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. Yeah, we've had a few technical difficulties getting ourselves sorted uh, this afternoon. Dana, I thought we could start the podcast by just finding a bit more around your background, you know, learning a bit more about you and how you found yourself in the role of a product manager. Yeah, cool. Um, kind of um, stumbled my way into a corporate office, um, not not really with a plan to stick there for, for too long. Um, and yeah, found myself in doing kind of menial jobs that... Um, really needed some automation and um was kind of keen to get after that and, and and make a whole bunch of improvements and um so I saw myself move from a bunch of different roles as a as a result so um went through a bunch of um kind of back office roles um with our b2b clients um uh went through pricing which was an awesome area to kind of learn a lot about the um end-to-end and the supply chain and um you know how you price customers and make money so that was wicked um then kind of moved into um looking after a bunch of like um systems and um uh online tools that customers could use um it was probably before product management was known as mm. a role so i think um at the time it was kind of called business owner or something similar yeah, yeah. um yeah, and then uh, kind of moved through, led a led a team in a in a transformation piece around our um, ERP, so our key financial system that we use, uh, and then um, yeah, had the opportunity to be Z's first um, product manager, um, launching a product called ShareTank. So um, yeah, that was that was wicked, and um, yeah, here I am a few years later, still um, yeah, really enjoying um, the role of. Um, uh, product management and kind of yeah i think i kind of found my niche there so that's cool yeah cool and and for those who don't really know what a product manager is supposed to do uh and of course it's like any role uh, <laughs> there's what you do and what the product manager is supposed to do but in your mind what, what how would you describe the product manager role to someone at a barbecue who asked what you did yeah great question um so the role so varied and there's like you know multidisciplinary role um which is which is awesome and i love um being able to be across so much of that but um really it's um you know there's lots of people talk about the venn diagrams of desirability viability and feasibility and kind of working right in the middle there same could be true for business customer tech um a lot of people would talk about it being you know the the roadmap the vision and the strategy for the product Mm. um but you know primarily um the role is around um actually making sure that you've got a product that um, meets the needs and um, generally the underserved needs of a customer 
um, and is also making money for your business. And mm. so um, uh, sometimes describes product market fit. Um, and ultimately, that's the role is to is to search out, hunt down, grab product market fit, and then stay in that in that space. So, um, yeah, essentially having a product that people want, mm. um, don't want to lose, uh, and that makes business a bunch of money. Yeah. So, I guess I mean I talk about on the podcast quite a bit. Um, I'm not necessarily the atypical business analyst. I talk about business quite a bit, and I guess from me my very you know limited understanding of product management is that it very much is focused on the business side as in this product it's around making sure that the the product like you said actually has a market it's more it's externally focused as well as internally focused would you agree with that yeah yep absolutely so um yeah it's both working with customers Mm -hmm. um and really make sure there's value there for the customers, right? Because if there's no value for customers, then there's no value for the business because no one's no one's paying for it. Yep. Um, so it's you know pretty pretty basic economics of um, you know buyer and seller type scenario. Yes. Um, you know there has to be a, a willing buyer um, for the seller to make any money. So yeah. And so in terms of I guess we've touched on this a little bit, but in terms of what do you think? How do you how do you define success for a product? I mean, you've just touched on it. Someone's going to want the thing, and but not only just want the thing, they're going to be able to pay for the thing. And there's actually a big difference between those two. But how would you, if you took an example that you've worked on before, how would you, you know, how would you uh, explain to management they can should continue to invest in this idea over something else? There's always one bucket for the money, and you know, you, limited funds. So how would you, how have you, how have you you know, uh, measured success of a product. Yeah, so I talked a little bit around product market fit. Um, and it's somewhat a vague, like it's not a metric. Mm. Um, and so there's a there's a bunch of stuff that goes into that. Um, you, you know, if you're working for a business in particular, if you're working for a corporate, they're going to be interested in like KPIs, OKRs, those sorts of things. And so um I don't I don't necessarily measure those as success um for a for a product um probably until they're super well established. Yes. Um when you're um in the early stages of a product or even in a transitional stage of a product, you know, with changing markets or um consumer behaviors, um, you are really trying to look for what are those indications that you're getting. So what are the signals that you're getting that are you know strongly suggest that yes. this is going to work for you for you know your business and so um you know a lot of those are around the insights that you're getting from customers about you know how much they they like the product you know what sort of feedback you're getting through what sort of star ratings you're going to do you're getting from from those um and then just making sure that actually the the behaviors um uh, meet that as well uh, I think often there's um, people look at the kind of total numbers or unit mm. numbers, uh, and I think that just gets a little bit dangerous, um, particularly if you're in a in a growth phase, because you can easily lose track of what that looks like when you've hit scale. Yeah, so that's an interesting point. So you've got this, uh, I guess, the numbers, the actual numbers that are coming through that probably upper management are looking at in terms of how many signups you've had or whatever. But you're you're are you suggesting more so that some of that intimate feedback from customers is almost just as valuable, if not more valuable, from your initial customer base about how they're feeling about the product? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
and you're always going to have to work with finance you're always going to have to work with upper management um uh, but it is really important to go actually what are we learning about this what is the insight that we're generating mm. um you know if you are able to create a product that customers really like i guarantee you're going to find a business model that it works around that yeah and so um I, for me it's really about how do you really find that spot where customers really like it mm. and then you've got all the opportunity to go cool we can make a business model out of this start scaling after you've worked it you've got your kind of early adopters if you like the people that really really passionate about it and yep. they're going to work for you yeah that's right so do you okay well we've talked a lot a little bit about theory and we'll get we'll get back to that in a minute because i think there's some interesting questions that have just come to mind uh that i want to ask you uh but specifically could you share an example of maybe one product that you've managed to launch from concept uh you know to actual launch and people they're two different things um and and just work us through you know what that was like from the from the beginning to when you went to launch yeah cool um so i was fortunate enough to be the product manager to launch share tank uh it's a app-based uh, virtual fuel tank um for those who are not familiar with it but um you can essentially pre-purchase fuel online uh and at today's rate and then you can use that later on so um there's some good savings to be had it's a good way to you know kind of make sure you're covering your costs so a bunch of different use cases um super, super simple to use so um yeah that that was that was great i didn't join um necessarily right from the initial concept mm -hmm. and in fact i'd say um a lot of products come from concepts that um have existed or problems that existed for for a long long time yes and so there's always kind of been this kernel around um in, in this instance how do you um, get pricing for fuel to be fair for the customer so that they're not at the mercy of when their fuel tank's empty and the next station yeah exactly right yeah um and so yeah uh there was some work done by our innovation team um prior to me joining the team um and i kind of joined as we got into the um kind of concept testing phases so um speaking to users um putting a few um, we were pretty lo-fi at this point we hadn't built anything uh but we'd drawn what the screens would look like on an app and basically flip cards and we were going through the screens um for people um, and trying to assess kind of usability desirability um yeah so that, that was super cool uh and then uh so really taking that kind of human-centered design approach mm um and yeah we got to the point of going yep we call we think there's a product here we think there's something in this uh and then we kind of took that um kind of concept designs through into into development uh, so, and then all, all that goes with that around you know making sure that you've got the technology the controls the you know that you're capturing stuff you've got the integrity you've got it all flowing through the financial systems etc so so if you if there's a famous diagram the gartner diagram for three loops so i always come back to it i don't know what its official name is but it's got the design thinking the lean startup and the agile approach now forget about those terms and i know that different worlds talk about that and a lot of bas would are not even familiar with that model but if you if you just if we just walk backwards a little bit you've got the innovation lab at z or that existed which is almost doing some of that upfront design thinking yep. concept is that right yep, that's and you're right. and you're joined at the kind of end of that loop as you go into lean startup that's so you, right yeah yeah okay and then flying that through into agile 
into actually making it happen. Correct. Yep. yep. And then and then launching and then iterating as yes. well. So yep. And then flipping back back to the top of the loop to then get more customer insights. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Great. That's awesome. And and how when you I mean this is interesting. You've launched. You've got low-fi diagrams for sure share tank. You've got some customer feedback before you even launch or spend any money on the thing. Uh, obviously, you know, management's bite in. You've got this probably honeymoon phase for a, a little bit. You're launching and then you get feedback and you get criticism about the product from different channels, I imagine, different people. The internal users go, oh, you know, oh, that's a bad idea. Or I had a better idea. And then probably from the customers themselves. So talk to me about some of the feedback you got and criticism you got and how you're able to manage that and incorporate some of the good stuff back into the development lifecycle. Yeah, cool. I'll start from a customer perspective. Um, so obviously you're trying to capture as much feedback that you can um, and trying to turn that into insight um, because it's kind of informing your, your product development. Um, and so lots of positive feedback, and that, that was great. Um, obviously there's a few nuances and, um, you know, the, and with this particular product, people can put money down and then see prices plummet. So essentially yes. they're, they're at a loss or they, you know, they might make mistakes like, you know, purchase the wrong grade of fuel or something like that. Um, and so um, really like taking an empathetic approach to those customers. Mm. Um, and because it, was, because it was basically, you know, startup type product, um, uh, we were super close. We took a, an approach being unsustainably personal yeah. um, with, with customers. So um, I was right in there doing customer support for, for a good wee while, just making sure that I was across absolutely everything and, and taking that as an opportunity to kind of get that in, inside and actually try and walk in the customer's shoes a bit because it would be easy just to hand to a service center and say, you know, just Deal with run the script, right? Yeah. So, um you know, from a from a customer perspective, um, just just having that kind of empathetic lens across it all was um, super useful. Um, and then you get kind of your internal um, feedback and criticism, and, and again, some of it some of it positive. Um, some are kind of bright ideas that people have that um, are, are great, but haven't gone through the rigor of actually going, okay, cool, is this something that we're actually going to do? Yes. Uh, and for a lot of people, although you kind of share as you go with, you know, kind of what your journey is and how you got there, um, they're like, yeah, but my idea makes huge sense. Yes. Please do that. And so, yeah. um, again, it's like, you know, it's one of those things where you take that into um, into account and when they're feature requests or feature ideas, I think they're all they're all good ideas. Um, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to act on them, but they've they've all got something behind them, right? So it's come from someone who's who's coming with positive intent to give you a suggestion on what they think could make the product better. And it's usually passion behind that, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And then you've got a bunch of naysayers who who will say like, you know, oh, this is this is a terrible idea. This costs too much to run. We don't make enough money. How are we going to keep this going? This isn't going to scale. So on and so forth. And so. Um, you know, the best way to deal with that is just through data, quite frankly. Yes. Um, uh, and if you've, you know, if you've, uh, just not being precious around it, right? So sometimes the data is, is bad. Um, uh, we had uh, quite a bunch of fraud that was happening, and that was some pretty, pretty dire um, figures that we were seeing. Um, and, uh, you know, you just, hey, you have to take that what it is. What it is. Yeah. And either you can turn it around or you can't. Yes. 
uh, and so you just have to be open if you if you're unable to turn that around then it might be you know we need to kill this feature or kill this product or we ne may need to do a rethink and yeah. just being open to that is actually you know kind of super useful and in, in um kind of handling that and so i had a um a boss at one point and he said um you know as we were going through um the um product and as we were kind of getting into launch he said to me your role is to be the biggest advocate but also the biggest critique of the oh, product yeah, yeah, yeah um and at the time i was like why, why would i you know why would i why would i want to be a naysayer uh and then kind of as the naysaying started coming in around some of the stuff it was like yeah that that actually really is good to have those two perspectives so that you're prepared for when that comes through when that comes through yeah it's really interesting i mean you talked about um the idea is that i mean a lot a lot of people that follow business will understand this but as you said you're in this lean startup approach if you like you're launching and you've just said that you 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 you're purposely being sustainability is not the objective here so we talked about those goals earlier sustainability having a sustainable business model wasn't the idea at that stage you were trying to grow so i guess and and i guess you're getting criticism specifically about how this is going to scale am i right in thinking that that the objective wasn't how are we going to scale this right now? It was simply to try and define the kind of baseline product for what Share Tank would be in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was, um, you know, a lot of people saying, you know, what when is this going to break even, etc. Um, a lot of these people haven't done this type of stuff before as well, right? They just sit in a cushy job at a corporate. Um, but it's quite easy to kind of um, chuck that out there yes um, for anyone who's started a business or launched a product no that's you know pretty unlikely to happen on on day one and in fact you do have a, a journey to go through to start um you know making some real money off, off what you're doing and it's really important you've got that unique opportunity right at the start to learn about how to do that yes and fail and fail fast. Exactly. And the the interesting thing is that people do do I have I have seen that happen. And what's interesting to me is that I'm, I've worked on big project type uh, investments, and the benefits aren't usually realised while the project team's still in existence. Yet you're getting pressure quite early on. I mean, we're talking a six month, you know, twelve month period where you are asking for benefits to be realised along the way. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a it's a really tricky tricky one. I mean, you talked about this before around the fact that you have to incorporate feedback and then sometimes like you said you have to what we call pivot uh your product strategy did you have to do that with the share tank uh product did you have to pivot um to kind of uh make sure that you were still capturing the market or that you know address some of the issues that you um that you're experiencing yeah absolutely um so we started off with the um on the premise that share tank was going to be more of a platform mm. um and uh we we went hard on controls to make sure that no one could game it etc cetera, etc cetera. and um then we found out people um well criminals essentially yeah. um uh, were just using stolen credit cards and so we we had very little kind of defense on that one at the time uh and so um the roadmap basically was like okay cool that's gonna that's a massive pivot in terms of where we're going to go with this roadmap uh and so um just bend down the hatches and try and come up with a whole bunch of um rules and um systems in place to try and try and combat that 
that fraud. Um, ultimately, we got a really great solution that the um, our payment gateway provider was able to offer us, um, which is um, taking it away almost completely, which is great. Um, but what what that's meant is we've had to um, uh, a lot of great ideas, and where we were headed have actually been picked up by other areas of of the organisation, which is great as well. Yes. Um, and it's kind of incorporated some of that some of that thinking. Um, so it's kind of been super cool to see, you know, some of the stuff where we thought we could take this one sharp in other areas of, of the business. Um, and yeah, so I think a good kind of outcome. Um, yeah. And, you know, the product as it stands today, although the, the roadmap of, you know, the, I don't know, we had a pretty long list of features we wanted to add, a bunch of those never eventuated. Um, but we've actually seen the product go from strength to strength. Uh, and so, yeah, hopefully the, um, you know, in a few years time or, um, you know, the, the person who's managing that can actually pick up on that, on that roadmap and see a future with, um, the strong customer base we've seen at the moment with it. Yeah, that's really cool. It's really great to hear. I mean, I've got the question, I've got a question that kind of leads on to that and, uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to tweak it a little bit to kind of understand, uh, the world that you were living in when you were working on a share tank. So you've got the, you've got to balance the in your role and you mentioned it earlier that you have to balance the business the customers and the technology in your role but one of the interesting factors that i've seen happen in product teams pure product teams as as you were is you're this little swat team you're funded to deliver a product and then the world the business world the, the back office world or the rest of the organization like Z proper if you like uh starts to get in the way when you try and operationalize some of those things you have to start to adhere with some of the the rules so how have you balanced um both you know the business the customer technology and how have you also been able to integrate or you know almost operationalize share tank great question <laughs> and, and you're right because you know we started off it, it was a it was a trial um we were experimenting um so we didn't expect it the rest of the business to pick this up when mm. we first launched um but we had a plan uh we had a great plan and then COVID hit and yeah i think it was mike tyson who said everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face yeah exactly uh, and that rang true for us so um yeah it was it's really about um again going back to that um like um, picture of product market fit saying actually we've got some really strong indicators that this is going to work for us as an organization we've got some things to do that we need to tidy up so we need to get ready for scale um and uh, as you know in my experience it was meeting those commitments along the way and saying look we've still got these strong indicators that this is going to be a winner uh we've done the work to allow for that to scale mm -hmm. and so now we're you know requesting that actually there's resources committed behind that and that they're incorporated in within the business as they incorporate um across any other product that we do such as you know get coffee and pie sales for example yeah so do you have to and, and that and that there was a, obviously the test external test of product market fit but are you now having to do almost portfolio product market fit aka your product that you're now incorporating back in the business is now being measured against every other possible product that Z could launch 
Yeah, and I, I think there's a healthy way to do it as well, right? So, you know, it's kind of a bit like a horse race, and yes. you know, you can you can choose who you're going to back, and you know, the the favourite might not be the winner. Yep, completely agree. So you've got to take that risk there, I guess. Okay, cool. So we're talking about some of the, you know, you've talked about specifically what you did around products and how you incorporate in the business, but a lot of BAs may not know or even understand because I will talk about these different dimensions in a minute that you live in a different world you live in a world where there are product management methodologies in framework which are completely you could argue live in parallel to BA processes so what are some of your favorite methodologies or frameworks you like to uh, rely on yeah cool thanks um I'm a big fan of um, like the Lean Product Playbook, which is a, a book that was written by Dan Olson. Um, had the opportunity to actually meet Dan and go through a, a workshop with him, uh, which was super awesome. Um, and essentially that's uh, around meeting the underserved needs mm. of a customer and really working in that problem space before you get into the solution space. Um, uh, I think it's, you know, combine that with human-centered design um, is, is always good for um, uh, pulling together what the product's going to look like. Mm. Um, I think, you know, there's a huge part on prioritization. Um, so I'm a big fan of um, a, a couple of models. Um, kind of value effort is obviously a really, really good one uh, to kind of get the things going. And then I like the, there's a couple of models in ice and rice. Um, okay yeah uh rice is um reach impact confidence and effort yes uh and ice is impact confidence and effort um the ones that the thing i like about both of those models is actually the confidence aspect of it um and basically it's a factor in the equation that as you get more confidence uh the score goes up and therefore it's a more worthy thing to get after and the reason I like that is because um, when it's like a stakeholder's idea or like someone's idea mm. or like the back of an envelope, um, the factor is actually like a fraction. So you're actually bringing down the score of that prioritization. And so it actually forces you, if you want to get something prioritized, to bring up that confidence by doing some concept testing, some yes. user testing, some A-B testing, some MVPs, you know, like actually getting it out. And so... To get to full confidence in in a feature, actually, you have to have actually been in market to to say, yep, this is something that we want to do. And I think that's just a really great way to um, help people to understand that, look, you know, everyone's got great ideas, but until we actually start to test them, our confidence level is pretty low on that. Um, and I just find it useful in terms of, um, you know, frameworks in and of themselves are insufficient yes. to deliver a, a you know an outcome uh, if you think about something like prioritization if you've used a framework you can at least have those conversations around how you got there um too often people just get sticky notes and do a stack rank and then in two weeks time someone challenges it and they went in the room at the time the discussions had and then the list changes and on and on we go um, but if you've got a um, if you've got a framework that you're using, at least you've got a basis to bring a bit of objectivity to it. And the governance side that sometimes those stakeholders are looking for, so you can refer to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always find when I'm having to implement, I'm having to implement a framework um, at another organisation, 
and it's always best i find to yeah, reference these industry standard things or at least have a reference source to what you're doing so people can understand that so that's great so we talked about you talked about testing you talked about like you know trying things with uh, customers now a lot of people that live in the project world are shielded they're never talking to the end customer and and i i personally think that's a mistake and when you're talking about testing you're not talking about whether or not the product functionally worked you're talking about whether or not it worked in the market so how do you i mean you talked about some methodologies there but what would be an example of how you could test share tank for example how would you be testing and validating that there was something that customers actually wanted um yeah uh and there's probably two sides to it, right? Like there's some that's in the usability space. So it's like, can you navigate to here? Does yep. this make sense? Can you explain this back to me? Um, and then there's the, you know, like, what do you think about this? Do you see a use case for this? Would you use this personally? Um, you know, most products, the ultimate test is going to be when you're asking them to hand over money. Yes. And that's, um, that's a thing that people forget. So um it's really easy to listen to what people are saying around what they do with their money but the second you ask for it is a different completely different story and so um uh i think making sure that actually um you've allowed for the possibility that actually um people may not want to pay for the thing that you've created based on what what they've been saying and so user testing and validation is is good to a point um i'd say it needs to keep continuing and so as much as you can be um running statistical tests um doing split tests um uh when you've got things live etc um making sure that you're looking about at the data that you're getting back um make sure making sure that you're generating all of the insight that you can throughout that journey and, and actually seeing does that um does that change over time and particularly pre-market and then in market as well is a is a really key one because um yeah there's lots of there's lots of stuff where people go this is wicked i'd, I'd pay for that and then it hits the market and they're not gonna they're not gonna pay for it yeah, right? it's their hard-earned hard earned money that um is easy to say to someone sitting across from the showing them the concept oh yeah great awesome wicked yeah. cool yeah, it's quite interesting. I mean, I, I mean, I've been dabbled in startups for a few years, and you, you, what I have found is common. Which, um, and you're doing this for a corporate, but if you're a small startup who's who's doing something, you know, at home, um, you, you have a tendency just to share your ideas with friends and family, and and uh, most most friends and family, uh, will um will tell you it's a good idea, or they want to support you. It's just our nature of our tribe, right? But then even if you ask your family members would they pay for it and they say no, you're probably you know, you're probably in a bad situation. But if you go and ask a stranger to give you cash, that's really an idea of whether or not something might be desirable. Yeah, yeah. That's and like the other the flip side to that is as much as they might say, yeah, I'd buy it, when you ask a price point of someone you know, they're gonna go much lower. And so I feel like the mark generally a market is going to pay higher than kind of your friends and family that you're testing stuff out with as well. So that's a yeah, that's an interesting an interesting way. Yeah, it is an interesting way to look at it too. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you've got um obviously these tests that we talked about, these customer feedback tests, and uh, even even some of the the stats around how many users and things like that. Um, you don't just make those up after you've launched. 
you've baked this into your plan upfront. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we have given we've got that luxury, right? So it's not always the case. Um, markets in particular can move pretty fast, and so that sometimes it's an opportunity to actually um, experiment in market. Um, uh, you know, if those conditions are right for that, and and I think that's absolutely fine as well. Um, but when you're talking about the testing and validation of any idea, whether it's in market or not, you're talking about what are the probabilities that the human behaviors will continue based on what you're testing. Mm. Uh, and so just making sure that you're actually not just doing that once and one and done and you're actually being statistical or as, you know, kind of as statistical as you can around that. Um, and if you you know if you've got a fifty percent chance, you're probably not in the right space. I'd say you you know that's uh you know you're as likely to fail as you are to succeed at that point. And so, I think really setting that threshold up front around yes, you know what what do we think the pass mark is here? Is it ninety percent? Is it seventy five percent? But really working with probabilities and making sure you've got data to to support that as you go. And and you think with like I know there's the I, I don't know what the official term is but I'll call it the restaurant the new restaurant effect, where the new bar restaurant opens up in the town, it's attractive because it's new, and so people want to use it. And so you've got these kind of you you could call them early adopters, but some of them are just attracted to the idea of new, and so a lot of people can get caught up in the buzz of a new product launch, and that isn't necessarily the ongoing data. And did you experience that with with Share Tanker to some degree? Um, we actually experienced a little bit of the opposite. Mm. So, um, uh, people end up buying a lot of fuel through Share Tank, um, because they're not restricted by their fuel tank. Um, so it allows you to buy up to a thousand liters at a time, which is pretty significant. Uh, and, and what we saw was like people using way more fuel at Z as a result. Oh yeah. Uh, and we had like months and months and months of data showing you know essentially the same fuel volume every month from a from a share tank customer on average uh and um it was quite fascinating talking to like our finance team for example when we we're trying to make the case for further funding and, and to scale it um there, there was a real challenge like oh this is just early adopter behavior we yes. won't see this happen again um we need to rip the numbers down and i'm like well actually but from a probability perspective there's there's nothing here to suggest that anything other than what we're seeing would continue to happen, yes. particularly when you're seeing kind of those consistent numbers month on month on month on month on month. Um, so yeah, saw really different um, than what I had anticipated yeah. in that space as well. So um, uh, that that's kind of been cool to see, but um, yeah, absolutely, that's a thing, right? Like yeah, um, yeah. I know personally myself, I've you know. I've bought stuff that I'm like, yeah, this is super cool. Get into it for a while, and then like, oh yeah, cool. Stop using this, or you know, um, whatever the case may be. Yeah, and I, I mean, that's one phenomenon. And as you've said, you know, you, I guess there is the element of you can't. It's unknown, so you can't predict it. You can't necessarily predict how people are going to use your product. As you said, you know, you had some unsavory criminals who were using it, you know, to commit fraud, probably in a easier way than you know they'll, they'll try and find anyway uh so yeah and also the positives there i guess from people trying to maximize the value they could do from the from the price they were securing and so therefore buying a lot of it for a rainy day yeah fascinating stuff that's really great so i mean i'm going to move you more to some of 
back down to uh, the future and away from the product and just more in terms of how you work with other kind of cross-functional teams. So what is what, who, what, what are the kind of roles that you would work with on a daily basis? Yeah, um, lots of different people. Yes. Um, but, um, you know, you're working with marketers, you're working with customer service people, you're working with pricing people. Um, and it's all going to depend on, you know, what sort of capabilities you have um, within that team or the organization that you're with. Uh, you're working with um, engineers, you're working with designers, um, you're working with senior stakeholders, you're working with DAs, you're working with data and inside analysts. Um, so yeah, kind of working with, um, per, you know, most, mm. most kind of functions, which is, uh, which is great. And um, uh, I'm a big fan of cross-functional teams. I think it makes a huge difference, um, but only when they're collaborating. Mm. like i feel like there's a big difference between this is a cross-functional team then this is a team with lots of different functions in it yeah 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 and as a, and, and you would you define the cross-functional team you know capital t as being you've got you're actually in it correct you're actually, on the field yeah that's right and so yeah it's not um it's not okay the designer will go away and do the designs mm. You know, there's elements of that that's obviously going to show up, um, but um, it, you know, it's not it's not just a it's not a waterfall handover a thing that you're working in. It's a working together to come up with like again going back to those Venn diagrams with the the customer, the business, and the technology, or the desirability, viability, feasibility, any of those Venn diagrams, yes. doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, if you're not in that intersect, and in fact, what you're trying to do with a cross-functional team is make that intersect as large as possible so that you're not off on a tangent going, oh, I'm working on marketing over here and I'm working over on software over here, that you're saying, actually, we're working on this product and it involves both marketing and software and you're trying to get that overlap as as big as possible yes. to create that cross-functional nature. So, so you're thinking about can... both elements. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And balance, it's a balance, balancing act, I guess. And so, I mean, you... I'll talk about some some roles. The, the obvious one, I'll talk about roles that are more closely related to the word of product. And we'll move closely to the BA, uh, the BA role in a minute. But um, a lot of people get really confused about the difference between a product manager. And actually, I think you've explained really well what a product manager does, and I, uh, I um, which is helpful, and the role of a product owner. And for me, I mean, I'm... I've, had some experience read at least reading and i've got good friends obviously who work in those different spaces so i think there's an obvious difference but from your point of view how i do know you have product owners at z so how how do you manage that and how do you manage the dividing lines or do you think it's simple uh certainly not simple um uh and people are going to have different um you know, so you'll find people, it's a philosophical question, basically. Yeah, that's a little bit. You, you got a bunch of people who say, like, there's no difference and a product manager is a product owner and vice versa. You have others which would think about the role that I'll be talking about today as a product owner and a product manager more around delivery and kind of pro project management. Yes. Um, then you'll have people say that the product owner is more akin to a project manager. Um 
Uh, and look, I look at it as slightly different from from all of those. I look at that as you know two people that are playing you know kind of side by side and back to back, working really closely and in sync. One is kind of more focused on um, looking outwardly to kind of customers and stakeholders. And the other one is looking a little bit more internally around, okay, how are we delivering from a from a team's perspective? And so the latter of which I think is the product owner role. Mm. Um, and again, I don't I don't think that's project management, it's, no. um, but it is, you know, making sure that um, uh, that the product's kind of functioning um, that they actually do have ownership of that product. They've got ownership of the results. They've got ownership of, um, you know, what what the um, what the roadmap looks like and actually how we deliver on that roadmap. So while the product manager defines the, I guess, the larger kind of items in the roadmap, the product owner to be able to break that down and sequence that and deliver value through um, through their roadmaps as well. It's a really interesting perspective. I would say that my view is very similar to yours. I, I would say that from my, uh, firstly, actually, by the way, let's just be straight up. The scr Scrum Guide, which is very much what we, when we talk about Agile, we actually talk about Scrum or some deviation of that, uh, plus Kanban, um, doesn't have a product manager role on it. It yeah. has a product owner role in yeah. it. And this is where BAs will get on to next, get, get, get caught up on because they're not, they're not mentioned there but as you've already defined there's a if you just forget about the word of ba for a second we're already saying the world's big enough for both the product manager and a product owner so yeah, it, it, it depends right it's yeah. not always going to be the case no. like if you don't have a whole bunch of stakeholders and actually you're just a small product-based organization that's trying to deliver one product you might just go like we don't we don't need both no one is sufficient um, when you've got a whole bunch of stakeholders and you've got a whole lot of activity to manage outside of, um, you know, what the what the delivery team's getting after, exactly. that's where it starts to get a little bit tricky. And you can't ask someone to to kind of take on that much work because they're going to upset somebody somewhere. They are, yeah. And I do think it um, it comes down to the maturity of the organization and the maturity of the product about necessary where those roles flourish or lead. So when we talked about the three-loop model, uh, for example, they're not mentioned in Scrum either. So if we talk about that agile loop at the end, the third loop, um, for me, I see the product manager being involved in those first two loops in the sense, maybe with a crossover once it's been tested. And I do like your um, analogy there of the product manager being responsible for the kind of customer market, external focus, big chunky items. I mean, in our world, we could call those epics, that they're actually things that people want. And then the product owner being the one who's breaking those down to more of a how. How are we going to get this done with a lens of delivery? Uh, that, that, that would be my definition. So that, that, that's an interesting, yeah, interesting conversation. Like you said, it's a philosophical debate that you can have until the cows come home. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting to get your perspective. So in terms of the role of a BA, we've talked about this often um, a little bit. So you're now in a you're you're working in a product world, full product world. How have you worked with BAs in this model, and are you getting value from them? Where do you think you know they best they best fit? Yeah, cool. Um, and I've worked with a bunch of different BAs, and you're going to get a whole bunch of different um personalities and like skill Quality sets level. and yeah. yeah capabilities and everything else. So um, yeah, I've I've worked some um. 
really great BAs who love data and reporting and kind of getting into that side of things. Um, I've worked with BAs that have played the kind of a more of a product owner type yes. role. Um, I've worked with BAs that are much more around um, kind of process mapping um, and, and optimization. Um, uh, and then you work with people who are pretty flexible and they're like happy to kind of jump in and help out in whatever way that they can. Um, again, just going back into that um, that kind of overlap of the cross-functional teams, I think it's, you know, I think business analysts can play a huge role in actually looking at and understanding the ways in which you're trying to deliver value to customers and then say, how do we optimize that value for the business? business. Yes. And so um, I think probably for a bunch of product managers, they end up getting into the role after having done a number of different roles across the business. Mm. Or, or um, you know, sometimes for different businesses. So they'll have a general sense, uh, but the just the time demands don't allow them to stay super in tune with all the kind of detailed processes that happen here, there, and everywhere. And um, I think you'll find most BAs get the opportunity to do that across a wide range of um, projects, products, um, business processes. And so... Um, they actually become the kind of go-to of like who does what, yeah. uh, what's the, you know, where's the right place to have this sit in the organization, et cetera. Uh, they can start to play a really key role with um, with stakeholders and actually starting to define how some of that works. And, um, you know, I think can take a real lead on um, some of the kind of service design elements and, and not just not just writing that up, but influencing um, that that to happen. Yeah, no, I think it's a really good answer. And I, um, we've talked about this a bit, but probably not as succinctly as you've just discussed. And it's interesting because I think you use the word process there quite a few times. And for me personally, and I guess this is what we promote at the Better Business Analysis Institute, is that BAs, in my mind, own that process world. Both the service design, yes, you might have human-centered designers saying this is ultimately what customer wants, not thinking necessarily how the business is going to consume that. And then the business analysts really playing in that space going, okay, how do we make this operational and how do we fit this back into the business? And then uh, I also talk about the fact that we have the word of product, which I you know, very much think the product manager is the critical lean between the customer, the people, and the product there. So I think I think it's a really good answer, and hopefully that makes people think about um, what their role is. And as you mentioned, there could be different spots for a BA in that product, in a product world. Well, Dana, that's the only questions I have for you today. Um, I think we'll wrap up, but before we go, um, I'll, I'll ask you three questions. Ooh. Three questions, just to learn a bit more about you. Um, and I, I ask I ask this of many guests who come on the show. Uh, one is, what's your favourite movie of all time? Favourite movie of all time? Oh, you're pushing me now. Jeez. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Yeah. And I'm going to say Dumb and Dumberer, which was a, a little-known prequel to Dumb and Dumber. Came after, but as a prequel. And uh, not to be confused with Dumb and Dumber 2, which was a sequel that came out many years later. Nice one. <laughs> and um, maybe your favourite song at the moment. I know you love music, so. 
Oh, my favourite song at the moment. Goodness me. Or a song you listened to recently and you thought, that's damn, that's damn good. Yeah, shit. <laughs> um, I'm going to say The Weakness in Me by Joan Armatrading. I haven't heard it. You have, to, you have to flick me the link. And one final question. If you uh, could give yourself a piece of advice back when you were 21 years old, uh, you know, about the word of business, what would you, what would your piece of advice be? Try and find something that works for you and try and be true to yourself rather than um, trying to look good in the eyes of others. I feel like if you're going to, if you're going to be true to yourself and kind of find what works for you, you're going to be successful. Um mm. You know, I've seen a lot of people try and like really impress others and then they reach the dizzying heights, which are too dizzying for them. And then they have a, a humbling and a, and a fall. Yes. Um, and um, I was probably a little bit on that track for yeah. a while until, um, yeah, I managed to kind of stumble across something where I was like, actually, I'm pretty comfortable and happy in my... Um, I want to progress in this area as opposed to progress up a ladder. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, yeah, progression in an area that it interests you and excites you as opposed to a ladder it would be my advice back to myself. That was a really good piece of advice. When you develop a time machine, one of your products, yeah. get to market, you better tell yourself that. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much, Dana, for your time. Cool. And, um, yeah, we'll catch you next time on the podcast. Thanks, Ben. And I need to somehow stop the recording somehow.